So the share tonight, the share tonight is on the topic of writing a will um, in a way that will work halachically. And this is obviously a very, very relevant topic. And a number of people have seen fit to write up their wills once uh, Corona hit. It definitely brought our mortality a little bit more to our notice. Um, so uh, the Shaila is how to write a, a will which is halakhically acceptable. Now, why does a person have to write a will that's halakhically acceptable? Why do you have to write a will at all? Why don't you just leave the inheritance to proceed exactly how the Torah um, recommended that inheritance proceed. So the answer is, is that if the inheritance, the way the Torah prescribes it, uh, would do it, would make certain things complicated. Number one, the Torah doesn't leave any money to the spouse. A wife is not Yerush or husband. All the money goes to the children. So a spouse would be left with nothing. Now, Chazal instituted, Midrabanan, um, Ksuba, obviously, and certain, th- there's other institutions in place to see to it that the widow is cared for by, from her husband's estate, yet that doesn't really give her um, power over the money. It provides for her. It will pay for her lodging, it'll pay for clothing, it'll pay for food, but it won't actually give her any money, any real estate, anything that she can, she can actually own. So that's, that's a limited that's very limited. So one reason why people will, would write a will is so to see to it that their spouse is taken care of appropriately the way they want. Another reason why a person would want to write a will is because, again, according to the Torah's Seder Ahayirusha, the way the Torah works out inheritance, women, the daughters, aren't Yairesh. They don't inherit in place of sons. So if a person has one son and ten daughters, his ten daughters get nothing, and his one son inherits everything. That's the way it works. Inheritance, according to the, the Torah. Ostensibly, not, not that, you know, I'm here to say why the Torah created the Yerusha that way, but it would seem that the Torah had that in mind as far as the whole Klal uh, Yisrael would work that way. So all women who got married, their husbands would be the ones who would be inheriting from their fathers. So everybody would get through marriage, but regardless, daughters wouldn't, uh, would, don't, don't inherit. Now here too, Chazal instituted that daughters should be taken care of in unmarried daughters. So if a person, Leilena, dies with unmarried daughters, so Chazal saw to it that they need to be taken care of. Their dowry and their wedding expenses needs to be covered from the estate. And uh, Chazal were generous with that. It gave us a percentage. So it's not, it's not a flat fee that Chazal uh, gave to each daughter, but they gave them a percent. At Isra Nechassim, a tenth of the, of, of the estate. But here too, uh, again, a person might want to divide the Nechassim equally, especially now in more of a, a modern world, people um, give their inheritance over to their daughters as much as to their sons. Another way, a reason why a person would want to change the way the Torah has a Seder Yerusha is because the Torah gives Pishnayim to the Bukhar. The Torah gives double to the Bukhar. Person that might might not want that double the the double portion should go to his oldest son. 
Another reason is, is because people like to give out to their grandchildren. Baruch Hashem, a person uh, writes a will and he has many grandchildren. He wants to distribute his, his wealth amongst his grandchildren as well. The Torah doesn't give any money to grandchildren. The Torah gives money only to children. But then when those children die, it goes to their children. But there's no money that goes directly from the grandfather to the grandchildren. So for all these reasons, it's necessary to write a will to ensure that the money should go as you would prefer it to go. And now we'll see, first, to approach the sugya, we have to, cut, to divide it up into three, really four categories, which we'll address each one. First category is, is there any problem with overriding the Torah's prescribed inheritance? The Torah says a Bukhar should get double. The Torah says a son should get not the daughter. So the Torah told us how the money should go. So is that okay to override that and then to do a will and make it the way you want? Or is that not okay? So that's one thing that we have to learn through, which is very extraordinarily relevant. And this is relevant both, obviously, to people writing the wills. And it's also relevant for people who are in the, the, the industry of uh, assisting writing wills, whether you're a lawyer or, or an accountant and you help a person create his will. If you help a person create a will in a way that transgresses an Isser of the Torah, the Torah doesn't allow you to write a will in, this, in a particular way, you are helping someone do an Avera. And that's also a serious issue. So that's number one. Number two, we have to then, if... Presumably, you know, if once once we come to the conclusion that there are ways that you are allowed to override the Torah's prescribed seder hayirusha, and you could give it to who you want, so now says, how do you do that? How do you get that money to who you want? Now, when a person dies, he loses control over his money. When a person dies, he doesn't take his money with him. So, how can a person command? that is this or that should be done with his money after he's dead, it's too late. Once a person is dead, it's not his anymore. And, well, you'll say, okay, he's giving it perhaps before he dies. Well, that's not so simple. There's certain rules of kinyanim, how you can give things away. And you have to stick to the rules if you want it to work. And if you don't do it according to halacha, it's just simply not going to work. So that's, we're going to address the next set of problems is how to do it. How can you make a will work? How can you, ha- how can you ensure that it's legally valid, halakhically valid, and it will uh, it'll be enforceable? Then we will address, is there perhaps not a issue because perhaps the fact alone that the secular law recognizes a will is sufficient to make a will enforceable of Piyalacha. The fact that Dina Machusadina or the according or other we'll see there's other reasons that simply making a will alone is sufficient to ensure that your 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 what you want will get carried out. That's the third thing we'll talk about, whether it's even necessary to do anything or a legal will is really enough. And lastly we will discuss what actually is done today. Uh, how do people do it in a way that it works halachically that is ensured that it should, it, it should be upheld by a Bezdin. <clears throat> and uh, basically, in a nutshell, what people do is they write a legal will. They write a regular secular will with a lawyer, making sure everything is done properly, <coughs> which is very important. <coughs> it needs to be done proper, uh, properly, legally, so that it can be um, enforced in court. <clears throat> 
Um, and then you write another document. And that other document ensures that the legal document will be enforced. And that's the halachic document. So you have a halachic document that uh, it goes in, in hand in hand with the legal document. And this way you can ensure <coughs> it'll be upheld. So let's start from the beginning. First, uh, the first question is, is it okay? Is it okay to override what the Torah prescribed, <coughs> how, how um, inheritance should be divided up? Let me just um, get a drink one second. So, the first thing we have to see is, what does the Torah say? Let's see the Pasuk in the Torah. So, I'm going to share a screen with you. <clears throat> I find it over here. Here. <clears throat> so, this is a Pasuk in Parshas Kiseitze. Uh, let's make it a little larger. And the Pasik says, Kiel Ish, a person has two wives, one that he loves, one that he doesn't, and he had uh, children, both wives, and the Bukhar. Excuse me, Kvodarav, we cannot see your. your oh, I'm sorry, I see. Yes, yes, thank you for telling me. Thank you. Um, yeah, that happens sometimes. Okay. Oh, much, much better. Thank you. Yes, thank you. So he had two wives, one that he loved, one that he didn't, and they had two children. One was a Bukhar, and the Bukhar was to the wife that he did not love. So So when it comes to the day that he is giving over his inheritance to his children, whatever he has, he doesn't have the right he doesn't have the right to change the way inheritance works and say that the other son should be the Bukhar. The second son should get the double portion and the other son should only get a single portion. He has Habukhar ben Asnua Yakir because he has to recognize the son of the wife he did not love. To give him everything that he owns. He was his firstborn and he gets the Bukhar. So here we have a Pasuk in the Torah, which is referring to one aspect of inheritance. It's in, and it's referring to the aspect of inheritance of who is the Bukhara. Do you have the right to override the Torah's prescribed Bukhara? Do you have the right to override it and say, I don't want him to be the Bukhara, I want him to be the Bukhara. Or, or simply, I don't want him to be Bukhara at all. So it seems that that's prohibited. Now it could be, could be, that the Torah is not saying it's prohibited. The Torah is just saying it doesn't work. You try to do it, it won't work. So here, let's see what the Rishayim say. The Ramban says, "No, it's not telling me it's prohibited. It's saying it won't. I'm sorry, it's not saying it, it it won't work. It's saying more than that. It's saying you're not allowed to do it." So let's take a look at the Ramban. This Ramban is Alatira, and then he says it again in Sefer Hamitzvus. So here is the Ramban. <clears throat> uh, one second, again. Okay, here's Ramban. Ramban is the, the last piece of Ramban here on the page. You can't make the son of the beloved wife to be the Bukhar. Azhara, 
It's an azhar, it's a warning. So they ask the keze, you're not allowed to do this. It's a laissez-say. V'chein kulam, it always uses this language when it means a laissez-say. L'suchulachal b'sharechal, l'suchulachalachishnachri. V'amar unkulas b'kulam, l'sluchoshu, you don't have permission. It's, a, it's an avera, it's a laissez-say. It continues on to say more than that. Uh, and I'm going to go skipping to the next paragraph here. V'chein, likewise, ki es ha-bukhar ben asnua yakir los le-pishnaim. The bukhar ben asnua, you have to give him pishnaim. It's a mitzvah say. It's not just that that's what happens. It's a mitzvah to say. It's a commandment. It's a commandment that you should give him the inheritance of double. Someone who chooses to override Pishnaim and he gives the Bukhar equal portion like the brothers. He gives everybody the same. He says, you know what? Let's keep everything fair and square and I want everybody to get the same amount. If someone does that, he's over a say. And even if it doesn't work, the Ramban says, even if you do it in a way that halachically is not enforceable, you messed up, you didn't find a good way to do it, you're still over a license and essay. And certainly he says, Let's say you found a way to work around the Torah. You know how? You just won't let everybody know who the Bukhar is. And they're talking about, let's say, it's not well known. And you convince everybody that he's really not, not the Bukhar. He's a Pashut. And he gave him the inheritance like the rest of his sons. Then you are over this license. This is new mitzvahs, meaning to say that they weren't mentioned previously in the Torah. Let's stop here. So the Ramban says very clearly that regardless of even if it doesn't work, but a person has an obligation person has an obligation to give, to, be, to give inheritance to his Bukhar Pishnaim. And if you override that, or even if you don't override it, you're not successful overriding it, but you try, you're also over that, let's say. And you're also Bavatlamitz, as I say. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. So we now are going to have to address that. Is that going to be a problem? If a person wants to write his will as he pleases, is he going to be mevatel a mitzvah or over on a say if he does not adhere to the halacha of Bukhara? So let's take a look a little further here. Another, another source, another two sources to take a look at. Um, the Ramban here uh, in, in um, Sefer Mitzvah addresses this further. The Rambam, oh, I'm going to take open up the Sefer Mitzvah here. This is the Ramban in Sefer Mitzvah. So now the Rambam, Second again, that didn't work. Um, the the, the Ramam is the, that talks about the mitzvah of inheritance is actually the very last Ramam of mitzvah says it's um, mitzvah Reish Mem Ches two hundred forty eight the last one. So over there, the Ramam says that there's a mitzvah of Nachla. There's a mitzvah of Nachla, and uh, he he the Ramam as is typical. With many such mitzvahs, he says that it's not really an active mitzvah. It's not a mitzvah to do anything or not to do anything. It's just a mitzvah that teaches us how certain things work. Like, for example, there are many things like that. I'll give you an example. Um, There's a mitzvah of bar, right? The mitzvah is that if someone digs a pit in in a public place, someone falls in, you're obligated to pay. There's no mitzvah there, right? It's not a mitzvah to dig a bar, and it's not. There's no mitzvah. It's just the Torah. It's called a mitzvah, but really all it is is telling you how these things work. It's telling you halacha. Uh, many things. Tumah and tahara, right? When Torah says that if you touch this, you're tummy, it's counted as a mitzvah. It's not a mitzvah to become tummy. It's not a mitzvah to act tummy. It's just you are. 
you become Tame. So that's the kind of mitzvah the Rambam, the Rambam says Nachlis is. Nachlis is the Torah is telling you how it works. When a person dies, this is where his money goes. It's not a mitzvah to do it. It's not a lesson to say if you don't do it. It's just this is, that's the fact. That's how it works. That's the Rambam says, and that he puts everything into that. Bechor also, he says. Bechor is just a, it's just a facet of Nachlis. The Bechor needs to get Pishnaim. Then there's no assay and lesson involved. It's just a halacha. So the Ramban, after he disagrees with the Rambam in many places, what happens is, is that he disagrees with the Rambam's counting of the mitzvahs, so he's left short, right? The Rambam says there are 613, and the Ramban disagrees. He says, no, that's not, that's not, that's not. So now he has to come up with some new, one, some new ones. So that's what this is. This is where the Rambam, the Ramban adds the ones that, in his opinion, the Rambam left out. And mitzvah yudbeis is one of those, and it's that we were, we have a commandment, the Lysa say, to when, when we are giving over the inheritance to our children, to take away the Bukhara from the oldest son, to his brothers. We're obligated to give him Pishnaim as the Torah commands. You can't make the, the beloved son a Bukhar in the place of the not, not, not beloved son. And he goes on about this. He demonstrates it, and in the middle, he says, if you can see where my pointer is, he says, like he said in the Torah, that not only is this a say, it's an essay too. It's also a mitzvah, it's a commandment, positive commandment to give him pishnaim. And if you take it away, you're over. And he says, both of these, the, Ram, the Rav, which is the Rambam, forgot to count. So now we have a machlekes. We have a machlekes of Shainim. We have a machlekes Rambam and Ramban. The Rambam says that it's a not a mitzvah. There's no mitzvah to say, and no mitzvah to say. It's just a terror prescribing how it needs to work. And if you manage, you find some way to override it. Talk about no problem. You overrode it. It's not going to work that way. Whereas the Ramban seems to say that no, that's specifically what the terror is saying. Don't override it. It doesn't work or it does work. Either way, if you override it, you're over in Avera. You're in Mavatal, a mitzvah saseh. You haven't positively done the mitzvah of giving the Bukhara, and you're over a say. So that's a is Ramban and Rambam. Okay, so that's pretty serious. Now, where this gets more interesting is that it's not so simple exactly what the Rambam's going to hold here, because if um, you're familiar with the way Sefer HaMitzvahs work, we know there's another very famous Sefer HaMitzvahs is the Chinuch. The Chinuch wrote and counted all the mitzvahs. Now, there are many different opinions in the Rishonim how you count the mitzvahs, right? There's the Rambam, there's the Ramban, there's a Bahag, there's a Smag. So how, who did the Chinuch choose? So the Chinuch chose the Rambam. The Chinuch says, I'm going according to the Rambam's uh, count. And that's what he does. Then, now, if you look in the Chinuch, though, in the mitzvah of Nachlis, he says a fascinating thing. Let's see what he says. Okay, so here's the Chinuch, it's Mitzvah Tov, Parshas Pinchas, actually, uh, coming up pretty soon. Um, so here, let me just find the right place. Um. 
Yeah. So as this paragraph, it begins here. It's the second paragraph I have on the page. He quotes a Gemara above Basra. Someone who's dividing up his uh, inheritance. He gave more to one, and he gave less to the other. So he right then, right then and there, he already has changed from the Torah. The Torah says that everybody gets equally, and he gave more to one son and less to another. Or he equaled out the Bukhar. And you can do that. Now what that means, you can do that means if you gave it as a present. Right? A person can give whatever presents he wants before he dies. And if he, so he successfully gave out all his things as a present, so it is, it works. But if he didn't give it as a present, he says, no, this is the way I want my inheritance to work. So then it's very nice you said that, but no one's going to listen to you. Right? So almost a Mephorish Mishnah uh, that you can't just make a will. You can't say, I want it to go this way, I want it to go that way, I want my inheritance to work this way. You're going against the Tyra. So, he says, now the, the Chinuch says, it seems to me, means it seems to me, this third line over here. So, if a person writes a will, and halachically it's nothing, because you used inheritance and you can't change inheritance. And what he did is nothing. When he commands this way, you were just this which again is the Rambam's mitzvah. The Rambam that had said that all the Torah was doing was describing how inheritance should work. If you try to uproot it, you're mitzvah. You're, you're, you're being over on what the Torah commanded. And if, let's say, Bezin, for whatever reason, mistakenly, let's say, chose to follow his will, they're also over. They, they have uh, transgressed this. They also ask it incorrectly. So you're over. Now he says, However, it seems from the words of the Rambam Zal, No, this commandment is only a commandment given to Bezin. They should carry out the Torah's prescription of Nachos properly, but the person who himself tries to make a will, he's not ever anything. So he, he acknowledges that the Ramam does not seem to be learning like him. However, that's the Chinuch's opinion. So according to the Chinuch, if a person tries to change the way inheritance works by effectively writing a will, even if the will doesn't work, even if it's not effective, he's mevatel he's over and avera. Very serious business. It's very serious business. According to, sounds like, it seems like, we'll see more, but it seems like, according to the Chinuch and according to Ramban, you can't write a will that goes against the Torah's prescribed inheritance. Either according to the Ramban, you're over regarding Bukhaira, if there's if that's it, that's what's going on. And according to the Khanakh, it seems like anything, any way you change the Seder of the Yerusha, you're over and Avera. So how then do people write wills? So let's actually see what it says in Shulchanach. In Shulchanach it says something different. It also talks about taking away inheritance, and in Shulchanach it says something very different. You 
Uh, no, one second. This is not the right one. Not the right one. I think this is the right one. Yeah, here's the right one. So this is in Chayshem Mishpat, Simon Reish Peibes. Uh, the simon, look what the simon is about. You shouldn't take away nachla from a person who's supposed to get it. You shouldn't change the way the inheritance works. So what does it say? If someone gives away his money, and he ignores his own inheritors, and even if he's not so proud of his children, they're not acting properly. No, Chazal is not happy with you if you do that. So Mishulchanah doesn't say you're mevatel like the Chinuch, and he doesn't talk about being mevatel mitzvah like the Ramban. It quotes; it's actually your Shalmi. It's quoting. It's Ein Rucham Lechem, and it's also a Mishnah and Daf and Babasik Rucham Gimel on Beis. Chazal are not proud of you. They all get what you gave them, and uh, then it goes on to say, If you are a person who, who's pious and you care, you shouldn't be part of such a transaction. You shouldn't sign on such a document, a legal document, that get, takes away the nachla from one child into another. So... So uh, the Mechaber says that you can't do it and you shouldn't do it, but the Mechaber does say, not like the Rishonim, he says, you're not ever a loy, so say, the Mechaber just says, Ein rucham now that's very, very different than an Asayin Alesa. So it sounds like that in Shulchan Aruch, we aren't going according to the Ramban and according to the Chinuch. We don't seem to be concerned with the Mitzvah Asayin and the Mitzvah Alesa. That doesn't seem to be the issue, but nevertheless, it does say, Ein rucham Now, if you look here in the Pischei Tshuva, there's a oh, very long Pischei Tshuva, and he says that if this is the whole issue, then it can be circumvented. There's a way to work around this problem. So the Pischei Tshuva, Ais Aleph, he quotes, say for Ketesa who quotes a Tashbatz, Hele Gimel, Semenkuf Memzayin, Kosev, Abetayf, say, Shtaris L'Rishaynim, now, writing a will is a time-honored uh, convention. It wasn't just something that recently became in, in vogue. People were writing wills and changing the way Yerusha worked for hundreds of years, so much so that there are a whole, we'll see, we'll get there, that uh, there developed a whole um, minig, how to change your Seder HaYerusha. There's a minig, how to do it. You so don't just change your Seder HaYerusha and do it any way you like. There's, there's a minhagas, how to exactly do it. So it's been around for a very long time, this concept. The Rishbatz is one of the early Achreinim Rishayinim writes. So what you need to do is, you have to set aside four zuzi. Uh, we'll see what that number means. But you put aside a certain amount of money, and you say, in that amount of money, I'm going to allow the regular inheritance to run due course. And in the rest of the money, I'm going to write my will. But I'm going to put aside some money and that money is going, I'm going to be behind all the mitzvahs of Yerusha. So that, he says, if you do that, then, and if you do that, then, then Chazal are happy with you. Then they become proud of you again. And that's okay. It says, 
goes on and forth. He wants to, the, the Rob wants to know if he's allowed to help someone write a will that's going to change the state of Yerusha. And he makes the same, um, the same recommendation that you can do it as long as you leave over a certain amount of money. Now, what exactly that amount of money is, um, that keeps on, you know, is discussed at length in a lot of different forums. And most recently, Reb Moshe Feinstein says it needs to be a hush of amount of money. That's what this for Zuzi means. It means a substantial amount of money. And uh, I was speaking to a cousin of mine who uh, is a, he's a, um, an estate lawyer and very well versed in these halachas. And he says the way it works nowadays is that people leave over $10,000, right? Assuming that their estate is larger, you know, like $100,000, $200,000, a million dollars, whatever it is. So they leave aside $10,000 for the sake of being Mikhaim, Seder Nachla. And thereby, other Akronim say, you also take care of the problem. You also take care of the problem of, of uh, the, the Ramban and the Chinuch also, according to some Akronim, that as long as you're doing the mitzvah, you've been Mikhaim the mitzvah, and you've been Mikhaim in that part of your Nechassim. You don't have to be Mikhaim in all your money. As long as you're Mikhaim in some of your money, the rest of your money can be excluded, and you'll, you'll, you'll be Mikhaim Nachlam, Mikhaim the mitzvah of Bukhar, all in that part of the money. But it has to be a substantial amount of money. So that's the way it's done. If you work with a from lawyer, or if you're conscious, you work with a rub, and you're conscious about how will needs to be written, you're going to always exclude a certain amount of money which should not be subject to the will, and that should work with Seder Nachla, whatever the terrorist prescribed Seder Nachla is. Now, <clears throat> some things you need to keep in mind when you do that is, for example, let's say you do have a son who is a Bukhar. So in order to be Mekayim, the Torah's mitzvah, you need to make sure that he gets Pishnayim, so you could do the mitzvah. Now there's a, a halacha, that Pishnaim only is from actually the money that the father actually has at time of death, but money that he doesn't actually have, money that he could get, would get, is not, there is no, you don't get Pishnaim, you don't get double in that. So what's really relevant for us is that any money that's not in your current possession, it's just someone else has it, they owe it to you, or they have to give it to you, but they haven't given it to you yet, the Bukhar won't get Pishtaim. So by that token, a bank account is not really your money because there's no money sitting around that's your money. You lent the money to the bank. That's why they, certain accounts, they actually pay you interest and they will pay you back. So if you leave money in a bank account for a Bukhar, the Bukhar doesn't get Pishnaim in that money. Stocks, the Bukhar doesn't get Pishnaim in stocks. It's not, now you, haven't, you have to cash it out. So in order to be Mikhaim the Mitzvah Pishnaim, you have to make sure that part of that $10,000 are actual physical money, physical cash, or physical nechassim. We'll see later that the minig is, is that you, you, don't, you exclude from the will, Svarim, and you exclude from the will, Tfilin and Megillus, and any other kind of Sifri Kaitish. Those should all be excluded from the will. So a lot of times, those have enough of a value person has an extensive Sfarim collection, he has a nice Megillah, perhaps he owns a Sefer Taira. So if you, ex- if you exclude that from the Seder Hayrush, from the, I'm sorry, the will, then those are actual items and you could be Mikhaim, the whole Seder Hayrush and those items. So this concludes the first category. How do we, how do we deal with overriding the Taira's Seder Nachla? Are you allowed to do that? The answer is you're not. But what you could do is you can, I proportion some of the money to be Mikhaim the Seder Nachla, to do what the Torah wants with inheritance and with Bukhar, and then with the rest, you can go ahead and write a will. That's, that's number one. Now, now that we've figured out a way that you're allowed to write a will, how do you write a will? 
So that you can write a will, obviously you can write up a legal document, but how can we make it that it'll be enforceable at the halacha? Now we know if you want something to go to someone, you need to be maknaed to him. You have to make a kinyan. You have to find some kind of a halachic uh, process that will make it his. And the problem here is, as we mentioned before, is that that process has to take uh, place in the lifetime of a person. After the person passes away, he is no longer able to be makna. So there is a kind of kinyan, which is uh, called a, a kinyan mehayoyim v'lachamisa. You can make a kinyan where I am being makna it for, to, uh, to you today, contingent on the fact that the person dies. So what that means is, halakhically, the way that works is, is that when I'm, let's say, let's say a guy has real estate, right? Let's, let's talk uh, an actual guy. He has a building, he owns a building in Manhattan, very val- valuable building, $10 million. So he wants that to be divided up between his five uh, children, right? Each one gets $2 million. So he can say, I'm making this building from today, but it should only take a force at the point of Nisa, at the point of death. How does that work? So the way it works is that they get a certain bilus already right now. Right now, they immediately get an acquisition. They get some kind of halachic right to that building, but they don't have the right to use it. They don't have a right to act on their ownership until death. That's what you did. You gave them ownership, but you withheld the right to act on that ownership and that you kept for yourself until the point of death. Now, the problem with that is, if you do, there's a few problems with that. Now, that, that's a Kenya that works, but one problem is uh, that you're not allowed to sell it anymore at this point. Once you do that, so you can use it, you can collect rent, you can do whatever you want with it, but you can't sell it because it's not, that, that's not yours anymore. That you've given away. And many people are not happy to do that. A person writes a will at 60, he's not interested that all his real estate should not be saleable anymore. So that's one serious problem. Another serious problem with doing this is that this only works for what you actually have at the moment that you wrote your will. So if you have a building in Manhattan, you can write it in the will and it'll work. But what happens if you acquire a building later? You wrote the will at 60, and at 65, you bought some more real estate. That's not going to be covered by your will because there's a rule, a klal, that we know. You can't do any kind of acquisition or transference on something which is not yours yet. It didn't come to the world yet. It doesn't, hasn't become yours yet. So anything that has not become yours yet, anything that you're going to acquire, anything that you're going to get later on after the, the time of writing the will, won't be halachically enforceable because the Kenyan you made at the time of the will won't be applicable. So that's a big problem. You can't write a will, and then I guess every year I have to keep on writing a new will. It doesn't make sense. You, you know, no one wants to do that. You want to just write how it should be basically divided up. You want to give you know, percentages and portions and, and, and give directives, and then and that's it. You know, forget about it. So this is, uh, this is another serious problem. And you don't also don't want to do this kind of Kenyan because it severely limits you. Another problem is, is that there's also similar to Dabash Alam, is that you can't be makna something which is Ainabrushuse, which means you don't have full jurisdiction over it. So if you lent money to someone else, so they owe you the money, now you want to include that money in the will, right? Like someone owes you a lot of money. Uh, someone owes you a million dollars. So you want that money to be divided up in a certain way. You want your daughters to get a part of it. 
the money that you're owed, you don't have jurisdiction over. You can't sell it. It's a mulva. And that's complicated. How do you sell that? So if you can't sell that, then, then you stop. Then there's no way to make a will. That should be halakhically enforceable. Now, Chazal talk about something called the Matna Shivra, and that they obviated the need for a Kenyan. They said no need for a Kenyan when you're a Shivra. When Shivra means someone who's very sick. Now, the problem is obviously that, first of all, that's itself complicated how and when that works, but it's very not relevant because it only works for Shivra. It only works for someone who's on his deathbed. Someone who's well can't utilize that, that uh, approach of Chazal, of Manish Chimra. It's not going to work. Another approach Chazal came up with was Mitzvah Machas Misa, someone who's commanding how his, uh, his property should be divided up because he's thinking about death. That pretty much sums up a will. But that also, basically, the Rishayim, the way it works, Lamaskana say that that doesn't really work. So we're kind of, we have our hands tied here. If we want to go with the regular avenues of how Kinyanim work, if we want to approach this with the typical way of making a Kinyan of uh, Kinyan Sutter, you know, the way you do by Mechiris Chametz with a, with a pen or with a handkerchief or the yarmulke, or you want to do it with a document, a star. All those things work, but they only work for what you own right now. They only work with things that are transferable, like something that you have, not a, a loan. Uh, and it won't work on anything that's going to come. And it also limits you right now that you kind of now are dependent on your, your kids. If you want to sell it, you have to ask them permission. So this is very unpolite, palatable. Not, it doesn't work. Not a good, none of these are good options. So this brings us to the next question, is that maybe you don't need any of these options. Maybe the legal will should be enough. Why should the legal will be enough? Because of Dina de Machusadina, we know there's a rule that Dina de Machusadina, when uh, the the Torah recognizes the power of the government that you're living in, or the king, you know, when it was king, now it will be government, to enact laws and to carry out laws. What the where does the Gemara mention this? So primarily the Gemara talks about taxes. The Mara says that the, the government has a right to collect taxes. It has a right to collect land tax, property tax. It has a right to collect head tax. Uh, income tax was, looks like the modern invention. Uh, that didn't seem to work that way in those days. It was, uh, you paid per, for the right to be alive and you paid for the right to own property. So that, the Gemara says, they're entitled to it. And if you try to take it away from them, you're stealing and so on and so forth. Then the Gemara says in a different place that no, there's another aspect to Dina Machusadina. They can also determine what kind of transaction works and what kind doesn't. If they say in order for a land transaction to work, you have to write it in a document, then we can't do our ways, which is kesef, money, or chazaka, digging in it, or closing it, you know, the different ways, all Gemara and Baba Basra, how different ways, how logically you can acquire land. If the government says, no, 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 that doesn't work. You have to write it in a deed, and it has to be registered with the registrar. Otherwise, forget it. So the Gemara seems to say that they're also Dina Machus Adina. So then, now we're seeing that they have the ability to work around, you know, how it should, uh, how Kinyanim should work. So perhaps if they recognize a legal will, then that by definition should be enough to, uh, to, to, to require Bezdin to execute it according to the testator's command. However, this is complicated. This is complicated for a number of reasons, but let me show you one of them. It's a Ramah. Take a look at this Ramah. 
Um, that would be this room. Huh? Okay. Um, no, sorry, wrong one. Hard to find the right one here. Ah, this is the right one. Um, so this is in Hilchas Gzela, actually. So Ramah says, um, Yisrael Shahayachayiv Lagai. Yisrael was obligated money to a guy. So the guy went and sold the, the debt to another Jew. So now, even though you're not allowed to take a Jewish friend to court, a secular court, even though the document he's holding is a non-Jew's document, the, the Jewish Dayanim should... Um, Paskin that he would get whatever this guy would have gotten when he would have gone to a secular court, the Jew who bought it from him gets the same rights, so on and so forth. So last line, because it's Dina de Malchusa. Then it says, if a person married a woman in a place where they go with secular law, and uh, she died. Uh, they can't say that let inheritance work according to whatever the law of the land is. And it seems like that according to the law of the land, if a woman dies, her father or her brothers have get a piece of the action. They get some of her money. So he says, the Ramah says, this is three lines from the bottom, and you can't apply Dina de Malchusa here. You only say Dina de Malchusa for something that benefits the king or the government. Or is there to ensure peace and uh, fair trade amongst the people of the, the country. <laughs> doesn't mean we close our Shulchan Aruch and start just learning secular law. So the Ramah makes a very, very important point over here in the end of Sin Samachtes. He says, don't tell me and then that's it. We just go follow and is referring to inheritance. He doesn't make it doesn't make sense. He says there's there is a we have a Khash Mishpat for a reason. Dinochusadina, he says, means there are certain things that the kingdom or the government enacts to benefit the government, like taxes. Or they do certain things to ensure fair trade, they do certain things to ensure peace, so that people can live and interact properly, so that their laws are have power. But they can't override randomly the halachas of inheritance. Inheritance, the terror says it works this way, they say it works that way, they don't benefit from that. They have no benefit from overriding the Torah's laws, and therefore you can't use them. You have to go with the Torah. So it's not so simple to say Dina Machosudina. It's complicated. It's a very big sugi. Now, nevertheless, I will the the the, the truth is that Ramesha writes in the Chuba that you do say Dina Machusudina. You do say it. And uh, even a legal will alone is enough to be enforceable. And Bezin is obligated to enforce it based on the legal will because of Dina Machusudina, and he has a whole long chuva where he discusses why that is.
Then other Achrayinim have a whole different approach, which is very interesting. They have two other reasons why a, a secular will should be upheld. Number one is Kibbutz Kibbutz believe it or not. There's a partially Kibbutz The father or mother wanted that the money should be divided this way. It's a mitzvah to listen to one's father and mother, and therefore you should follow the will. Now, there's two aspects to this which need un, uh, to be understood. And again, it uh, requires a separate shear. But number one, um, Kibbutz Avayim is not enforceable. Kibbutz Avayim, the Gemara says, is a, not a mitzvah which Bezin can force someone to keep. It's something you should do. But it's Matan Schara Betzida. The Torah says, you will live long. And whenever the Torah tells you what your Matan Schara is, whenever the Torah tells you what you benefit, you Bezin can't enforce it. That's a common sensation, Matan Schara Betzida, and Bezin can't force it. So it's a very interesting situation. So it turns out, that it's the right thing to do. If a person is interested in doing the right thing, he'll do what the father and mother want because they keep it aim. Uh, but sometimes when there's a million dollars at stake, <laughs> people aren't so interested in doing the right thing. So that's obviously not going to be such a great thing to rely on. Uh, in addition, it's not simple that you have a kibbutz aim over here is because the, the parents are not alive and it's not benefiting them anymore. There is kibbutz aim after the father and mother pass away, but the kibbutz aim that's that exists after the father and mother passes away are things that are intrinsic with kibbutz aim. Don't sit in their seat. Don't call them by name. Say hareni kaparas meshkava, etc. There are different halachas that are intrinsically kibbutz to the parents. But if they tell you to do something which, once they're dead, really is not relevant to them anymore, it's not so simple that there is kibbutz aim on that. So that also needs to be discussed and learned. So that's. Another is a question whether another way to approach secular wills. And lastly, there's another whole sugya called mitzvah l'kayim dirihameis. Chazal say that when someone makes a command, uh, someone makes a, uh, gives a, a will, the last testament, last word, will and testament, there's a mitzvah to do what he said. The mitzvah to do mitzvah l'kayim dirihameis, mitzvah l'kayim, something, something that someone who gave, gave you a commandment, it's a mitzvah to do it. Now, this also is highly debated, and in addition, what is most relevant is that it needs to be written in that way. It needs to be written that he is commanding his, this Yairish to do like this, and this, this one of his inheritors to do like that. It needs to be written as a commandment, and it needs to be given over, it doesn't necessarily have to be given over to them, but it has to be given over to someone to give to them, and to command them in his place. So in order to enact the law, the halacha of mitzvah l'kayim d'vrameis, it has to be structured like a mitzvah l'kayim d'vrameis, and very often it's not. So that's another possible issue with just relying on a secular will alone. So what do we do? So what do we do? What does a person do in order, if he does want to uh, give, make a will that will work? So you, well, there's a very interesting loophole that Chazal developed. And like I said, it's years old. It's hundreds of years old, so much so that Minhagim have developed around it. And it's known as the Shtar Chatzi Zohar. Shtar Chatzi Zohar, that's what it's called. It's referred to in the Ramah and Simon Reish Pei Aleph and Chayish Mishpat in the end. Shtar Chatzi Zohar. What does Shtar Chatzi Zohar mean? This is a minig, once again. And the minig was that the Zohar, like we mentioned before, Alpi Taira, really only the boys should get the inheritance. But people wanted to take care of their daughters. They didn't want to leave their daughters high and dry. So they gave the daughters half of what the boys get. So if the boys would normally get 100% of the Yerusha, 
they take each boy's portion. Let's say there's five boys, each one gets 20%. And they say, okay, so half of that is 10%. We're going to give a 10% portion to the girls, and then we'll redivide whatever's left for the boys. So the boys get more than the girls, but the girls get a significant amount too. That's a shtar, chatzi zacher. It's a shtar which uh, gives to the girls half of what the scharam gives. Now, that was a minute, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, how does, first, let's talk about how it works. What does shtar chatzi zacher do? It is a very interesting thing. The person who's writing the will writes his will like a regular legal document, sits down with a lawyer, writes up his legal will. Then he writes another thing a separate document, this Shtar Chatzizacher. And he writes in this document as follows. He says, I have written a legal will. And I know, according to Halacha, there's, it can't be enforced. How am I going to see to it that it's enforced? You know how? I want my daughter to get this money. I want my wife to get this money. I am right now obligating myself to my daughter. I am obligating myself to my wife the amount of, give some huge sum, that's the amount of money that you own. So I'm going, I'm writing right now that I have a debt to my wife. I owe my wife, I owe my daughter. Let's say your, your estate is worth $2 million. I owe them $1.5 million. You don't, but you're creating that debt right now. You're creating that debt. And you're going to make a condition. Make a condition in that debt. You'll say, that's the debt. So you guys, my children, you have a choice. You can pay off that debt and you'll be left with nothing. Or... You can keep my, follow my will. And if you follow my will, then I make, I'm making this debt conditional. I'm only creating this debt conditional on that the will is not done. But if the will is done, then the debt is null and void retroactively. The, now, the, now, the, the, the debt never, uh, uh, never vests. The debt never vests. It never becomes real. It never becomes enforceable. And this is the way you, you, uh, see to it that your will should be enforced. So really what you've done is, is basically you've blackmailed, so to speak, your children. In order to ensure that your will should take place, you wrote another document, which halachically is valid, and it creates this debt that you are now truly uh, to the daughter, to the son, etc. And if they are going to now uh, choose not to follow the will, uh, then they're, you're gonna have, they're going to have to pay up this debt. So they're not going to be worthwhile for them. So this is, the, this is called Shtar Chatzizacher. Now, like I said, the, the, the way this was originally written, the way the minig was, number one, that they did not include Svarim in this. They didn't include uh, Tashmisha Kedusha, like Tefillin and Sefer in this. That was one minig. Another minig was that real estate was not included in this. Real estate was said meant to go to the children, the boys, so that it should have the name, the family name, because that was like a big deal, family names, family property. And uh, also they wanted that daughters shouldn't get the same amount as boys because they just still wanted to honor, honor at least the concept of the Tyra, that you don't give the same amount of boys and to girls. And the question is, can you go against those minhagim nowadays, because let's say, well, I want to do it differently. I want to give it out this way and that way. I want all my children to get equally so they don't fight. So the Chassam Seifer and the Chazanish said, you can't go against that minig. It's like the tzedakim. They are laughing at what the Torah wants, and you think that everybody should be equal. The Torah has a plan. The Torah has a reason why it wants it that way. So they held that you can't, but that's not so much the, that's not so much the way it's done nowadays because, like I said, the real reason why people want their inheritance to be divided the way it's divided is to ensure that there shouldn't be fighting after the death and they should ensure 
that uh, everything is done fair and square and everybody's happy as much as is possible. So that's why they write it. That's, that's, that's why nowadays pretty much people write it as they choose and they don't really stick so much to the Shtarachat Zachar Minig other than Sifri Kaddish and, uh, and Tashmish Kedusha that they still exclude. For, for the most part, those are excluded. And like I said before, usually that's what they use to be Mekayim the Seder Nachla, to be Mekayim the Mitzvah Nachla. So if you want to write a will in a way that will be halachically enforceable, this is what you do. You write yourself up a legal will, you get yourself a lawyer, and then you have a, either a Jewish lawyer or a Rav create for you a Shtar Chatzizacher. And in the Shtar Chatzizacher, you're going to create a debt. And this debt will vest upon the person's debt, death and it'll be conditional. And if the person, the, the children choose to follow through with the will, then the debt is null and void, but otherwise they're gonna have to pay the debt. Now, there's a little issue here. Something could happen. What could happen? He writes, he writes I'm giving $1.5 million to my daughter unless you keep the will. What if one of the children says, I have a good idea, goes over to the daughter, and he says, you know what, I'm ready. I'm gonna say, oh, no, 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 I don't wanna follow the will. And what's going to happen is, as a result, the money is all going to go to you. You're going to have to, they're going to have to pay you the whole debt. And we'll split it. We'll split it. But this is a, called a kanunya. It's collusion in English. A kanunya in, in, in the words of Chazal. So what, how do you get around that? How do you ensure that that doesn't happen? That the person that you're writing the debt to doesn't make a deal with someone, someone to override the whole process and nullify the, 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 the will and then have the debt go to her and then they'll split the cash. So they write the Shtar Chatzizacher in a way to override that. They write that if only one son uh, chooses to not follow the will, so he himself gets excluded, whereas the other children still can follow the will and they aren't obligated in the debt. So we see to it that if it's all one kid making shtick, one kid who's not following the rules, he doesn't make, doesn't make everybody else lose out. So that's one thing you take care of. Um, I, I, I forgot to check now, and I know that there's another, there's a legal issue here too, because I believe that le- legally you can't just obligate yourself in a debt because there needs to be consideration, which means there's only, you can only become obligated in something if you got something. If he gave you money, you could be obligated to pay. Uh, to, if he lent you money, you have to be obligated to pay back. But according to law, you can't just obligate yourself in the debt. Uh, it doesn't work. So, so that seems to be an issue, and it might, it might be, I see one of, one of the, uh, Joey was wondering about that. So, um, so that, that's, that's a, it's an issue. It's a, it's a valid problem. Uh, I was discussing it with some estate lawyers, and it's, they, they, again, they try to work around that, or even if you don't, uh, if according to halacha, it's good. So you say like this, look, according to halacha, this is the way we enforce it. And according to law, we don't have to worry about it because if you go to court, they're going to enforce the will, right? So you're covered. Your bases are covered, right? In a secular court, if they decide to go to court with it, so of course the court is going to enforce the will. And if they go to Bezdin, then Bezdin will recognize the, 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 the debt because according to Allah, you could do it. It's called an edisa. You can just create a debt out of nothing. So you have the ability to do that. You don't need consideration of the halacha. So that's one thing, but there are ways that consideration uh, can work, can be worked around. I understand I was speaking to a lawyer again, and he had some suggestions. It could be there's ways to work around it. But either way, like I said, it doesn't make such a big deal. So anyway, to summarize, this is what, this is what we've learned. We've learned that there is a, 
according to the Ramban, there's a mitzvah assay to give Bechayr Pishnaim, there's a mitzvah loisase to take it away. According to the Chinuch, anytime you override the Seder Hayyushu, you mevatel a mitzvah assay, it could be the Ramam holds that that's true. Um, there's zikr, there's certainly a Durabanan problem of Ein Ruacham Menu if you override Seder Yerusha, but the way we circumvent that is by um, separating a certain amount where we're going to do Seder HaYerusha in that amount, a substantial amount, and we make sure that there's Pishnaim, that it's uh, actual money so that you can have Pishnaim in it, and that's how we're Mekayim that. And now we get to writing a will. We write a will legally, properly, and then to enforce that will, we know we can't make Kinyanim because we don't have Kinyanim won't work for what we're going to buy. They don't work for what we don't really own. They uh, also start now. We don't want that to happen. So, so uh, what do we do instead? We make a shtar zachar, which is basically we obligate ourselves to one of the children in order to enforce that, force the other children to have to carry out the will, or else they'll be stuck with this uh, with this debt and they won't gain anything. So that summarizes it. Thank you very much. And uh, if you have any questions, you can ask them now. Sorry, I have a question or two. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, first of all, if one's uh, 